Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will be a blessing to your people. I ask that you will speak through me, think through my mind. I pray that let your word come forth in simplicity and in clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start off by saying that I'm very proud of Pastors Jessica and Robert. Um, God has really used these people to be a great blessing to the church these past four weeks. I don't know of you, but personally, I've really been challenged, I've been refreshed, I've been edified. And their messages have really strengthened my conviction to live all out for Christ. Amen. So, church, we are very blessed and we thank God for the gift of God in Pastors Jessica and Robert. So, God richly bless you guys. Very proud of you. Um, I like to preach, but I also like to sit down and listen to good preaching. So I'm grateful. Amen. Today, I want to continue our yearly theme on knowing Christ. And uh, I just want to stay with this theme a bit. So go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. I read, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. It was said this was Paul's 25th year in Christ after the Damascus experience. You know, um, Paul's conversion to Christ was very dramatic. Not everybody has that dramatic feel and that dramatic experience. You know, Paul actually had an audible voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? It's very hard to kick against the goats or some versions use the word pricks. And, and, he, and, and, and Paul said, who are you? At that time, it was called Saul. And, and, and Jesus answered to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You know, blindness struck upon him and everything. You know, so from the time that happened till Philippians chapter 3, that was 25 years, 25 years span, Silver Jubilee. A lot had happened. Paul had done many things. He had preached the gospel, lived out his convictions very strongly. He had planted churches. He mentored and fathered many. I mean, some of his protégés were Titus. If you read the book of Titus, that was his protégé. He fathered people like Timothy. That was his son in the ministry. He had endured persecutions for the sake of the gospel. When God called Apostle Paul, that was one of the things he told him, that he was going to suffer for the gospel. And if you do remember, Pastor Robert did, uh, made a slight mention of that in his preaching last week. He had written over a half of the New Testament. This man was loaded with revelation. He had insights. So this man, by all standards, we could say he had achieved. He had arrived somewhere. Yet he counted everything as dung in the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. When you read the, the verse we just read, his confession showed that he wanted something more out of his Christian experience. And that was, he wanted a more personal relationship with God. I mean, when I read this, I'm like, Paul, how much more do you need? 
This is someone who the Bible says that he went into the third heavens. And the things that he saw, he cannot even utter. I mean, what else? But he wasn't satisfied. So if someone wrote of Apostle Paul, who has been able to achieve the height of ministry, the pinnacle of ministry, is still striving for a more and a personal and a deeper fellowship and relationship with God. What about us? Today, my question I will ask you is that, what are you looking for? Today, many people, when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we look for the wrong things. Some have come to Christ because they want their marriage to work. Is that a good reason enough? Some have come to Christ because they believe, wow, if I come to Christ, I'll make it, I'll get money, I'll get a breakthrough. Is that a good enough reason? You see, if we have all these ephemeral reasons besides the solid reason of having a personal relationship with God, when you get those things, you just backslide and you drift away. And that explains why many will fall away. Because we haven't centered our will, our focus on what is the most needful. One day, Jesus went to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus house because the three stayed together. And, you know, per, per custom, when Jesus goes, they always feed him, they, they, they look after him, they are very hospitable and sensitive to his needs. But on, on one such visit, the Bible lets us know that Mary just came to sit at the feet of Jesus, uh, which really incensed Martha. And Martha came to Jesus and says, look at what she's doing. She's left everything to me, and now I am encumbered. And she's here. And Jesus looked at Martha, said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and too careful about many things. Mary has chosen the needful thing, and it will not be taken away from her. And what was the needful thing that Mary chose? Relationship. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving counsel, receiving instruction. There are many things we can look for, but let us look for the needful thing when we have received the gift of salvation. And that is striving to have a more personal relationship and fellowship with God. It changes everything. Now, this led us to look at part one, which was four weeks ago. And we talked on the subject, I may know him. And realized that to know Christ is to know him through his word. Reading the Bible gives us an accurate picture of who Jesus is. You know, there are many people who want to know Jesus and they are looking at other sources. If you want to know Jesus, I have news for you today. It's the Bible. The Bible is the best form of is uh, the best form of information is the best resource out of which you can get a perfect accurate picture of who jesus is not from the hollywood movies that they've made of jesus not from your grandfather or grandmother maybe she even got that or he might even got that from tradition not from any other person not even from a preacher because sometimes preachers too can be in the wrong but the best place where you can get, know who Jesus is, you can, you can really understand Jesus in its entirety, is the Bible. And we realized that. And we looked at the lives of two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Out of them, one was called Cleopas, 
And the Bible lets us know that they suffered a condition. They were slow of heart to believe and they were foolish. But we concluded by saying that for us to come to a place where we will have understanding and where we will be quick to believe, it comes through the word of God. And when Jesus saw that they had these conditions, it wasn't just the two of them, the other 11 disciples that uh, Jesus met later. The Bible lets us know that he expounded the scriptures to them. And whilst he did that, the Bible lets us know that they had a burning heart, which is conviction. Reading the Bible will not only let you have a clear pictorial view of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it will also give you a sense of urgency or you will have conviction. There is something that happens when you tackle your assignments arrested with conviction. Amen. The salesman that will make money is because he's convicted. If you are just lackadaisical, you are not going to make anything. When I, when I talk about conviction, I'm thinking of the salesman. The, the, the one that wants to sell the car. Because if he doesn't sell the car, he will not get commission. They don't get salary. So he does it with a sense of conviction. Of course, he also needs his money. But convinc convincingly, he will sell you the car. We have to come to a place where we have a sense of urgency and a sense of conviction. And that can happen when we read the Bible. And please, I recommend you to listen to How to Read and Study the Bible. It's a four-part series I did on Wednesday. Some of you were here. Re-listen. And those who are not to make it a point to listen. Amen. Because if, if, if you are ever going to know Christ in this year of knowing Christ, which is our theme, it is imperative that we read the Bible. That at least is a starting point. And then what is also more important is that invest in a good study Bible. So that you don't just read, but you will go further than reading that is to study. I did all this on Wednesday. Today, I want to focus on what Paul said, and that is he wants to know the power of his resurrection. Now, knowing Jesus also means you will definitely encounter his power. You can't know Jesus without having an encounter with his power. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection power has afforded to us new life when we became born again. Or when we gave our lives, when we received Christ into our lives. It says, but if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what's that spirit? It's talking about the power of his resurrection. It dwells in us. That power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And it just doesn't dwell in us. It has an active rule in our regeneration as newborn believers. What does it do? The Bible lets us know that this spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is known as the power of his resurrection or resurrection power, it will give life to our mortal bodies. It will quicken us. 
It reminds me of the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to f- uh, 6 going, where the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we walked according to the course of this world. We, we were just dead. But the Bible says, but God who is also rich in mercy, verse 4, that is the key. He loved us. He quickened us. He made us alive unto God. That is resurrection power. And that's what Paul is talking about. That I want to know the power of his resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity will become a huge struggle if you depend on your might. You will have to rely on what Paul calls the power of his resurrection for you to live this new life. For you to experience this born again. confession you you will have to rely on the spirit's power that spirit which raised jesus from the dead which is resurrection power you have to rely on that when you rely on that you will able to live above sin you'll be able to live a life worthy of new creation you'll be with with that you'll be able to even tap into the promises and into the blessings of what it means to become a new creation and that's very important now in this verse i want you to note something you will see two things that we should bring our notice we should bring our attention to one you will see power displayed in the resurrection and you will see power that comes out of resurrection hear me and hear me well the power that is displayed in resurrection is christ was raised from the dead that's the power displayed in the resurrection the power that comes out of that event is that it gives life to our mortal bodies. And that's why when you read Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it buttresses the point that Jesus was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised up. That was, he resurrected for our justification. Resurrection plays a very key part in the born-again experience. Amen. Now, one thing that you also have to note, whenever you see the word power, especially in the Pauline epistles, and when I talk of the Pauline epistles, I'm talking from Romans right up to 2 Timothy. Romans right up to 2 Timothy. All those are Pauline epistles. All the letters there are written by Paul. No. Romans up to Philemon. Romans up to Philemon. All of them are written by Paul. Wherever you see the word power, most times it has to be related with resurrection. So when, when, when Paul talks about power, it's not just the ability to do things, but it's also power which comes from resurrection which is transforming power that changes our life that we are able to walk in the newness of the spirits and live after the manner of the son of god so that's also one thing we have to know so with that said now i want us to turn our attention to first corinthians chapter 15 and we want to see some things about the power of his resurrection Apostle Paul says, I want to know this power of his resurrection. 
and this morning i pray that we will all have that same burden and that same passion to also know the power of his resurrection and one of the best scriptures for us to read is first corinthians chapter 15. in fact it will do you much good if you read the whole chapter it's 58 verses for the brevity of time I, i i can't do it so i'm just going to cherry pick verses just to make my point but after service do make it a point to read all the 58 verses of first corinthians chapter 15 and it will bring all the points i've said home for you and probably in your in your quiet times of the lord you will have deeper meaning in that scripture amen now i want to start from verses 1 to 4 first corinthians chapter 15 moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel which i preached to you which also you received in which you stand by which also you are saved and if you hold fast that word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain now apostle paul is saying something the gospel what is the gospel there's all the common things gospel music gospel preaching what is the gospel now look at apostle paul he's clearly going to explain what the gospel is for i delivered to you first of all that which i also received now how did apostle paul receive this gospel if you look at galatians chapter one that's how he received the gospel that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures so firstly understand that resurrection is part of the crux points of christianity and our very existence now when i'm talking about crux points i'm talking about something very pivotal something very decisive without resurrection there is no gospel to preach so when we talk about the focal points of the christian message the focal points of the christian faith the focal points of christian existence it has to do with christ's death christ's burial and christ's resurrection and we shouldn't just relegate this to only easter sundays you know sometimes traditionally the church we just like to preach about the death burial and resurrection the easter weekend good friday we will touch on the death and then easter sunday we will touch on resurrection and we won't touch on it again but we have to understand that resurrection is an everyday message of the christian experience and until we begin to see it as a daily necessity we will not come to a place where we will know the power of his resurrection now verses 12 to 19 now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then christ is not risen and if christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty yes and we have found false witnesses of god because we have testified of god that he raised up christ 
whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not raise, that the dead do not rise, I'm sorry. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men the most pitiable. So Apostle Paul in these verses is now acting as an apologist. He's defending the truth of resurrection. You know, during the time when Apostle Paul was writing this, there was a bit of suspicion, a bit of confusion about resurrection. Paul, of course, founded the Corinthian church and had taught on resurrection. But in his absence, when another pastor was in charge who was called Apollos, there were people who were able to creep into the current church with strong, with, with strange teachings, discounting the existence of resurrection to the point even not believing that Christ's death is a fiction. And that when he died, he just remained in the grave. And with this, Apostle Paul decided to defend the truth and bring out some powerful truths why it is important to hold the value of resurrection why it's important for us to stick with the truth of resurrection. And why was Apostle Paul saying this? Apostle Paul was saying this because he knew the power of resurrection. But when he wrote Philippians chapter 3, he still was not satisfied. He said that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection. So what Paul was saying is that I want to know more than what I know concerning the power of his resurrection. And because Paul knew the power of resurrection, his argument on the case on resurrection was very authoritative now in verses 12 to 13 the first thing that we picked up is if christ is not risen there is no hope for resurrection and that is why we thank god for resurrection look if christ stayed in the grave forget resurrection then there is no need to even believe that People can even rise from the dead. And in this living age, in this time that we are in, there have people who have risen from the dead. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, then the phenomenon of people being raised from the dead, it should also be discounted as a myth. We have hope that one day when we die, we will resurrect and we will come into another age after the end of this age there is hope for resurrection we thank god for the power of resurrection because the power of resurrection gives us hope that when we die we will resurrect we will see ourselves again in verse 14 paul says two things if there is no resurrection our preaching is empty. That means, empty means it's devoid of truth. So, we are here preaching the gospel. Many churches meet on Sunday because of the phenomenon of resurrection. If there is no resurrection. So, if Jesus Christ was, was just crucified and he experienced death and then he was buried... We don't have any preaching. Our preaching is invalid. We have no gospel to preach. Our preaching is empty. If Jesus Christ just died and if he stayed in the grave, we have no preaching. 
And without resurrection, preaching will not have a power effect to transform the hearts of men into regenerate men of the Spirit. Number three, our faith is empty. The same verse 14. And when it's talking about faith here, it's not talking about faith as a lifestyle. It's talking about fidelity. That means our belief in Christ is also devoid of truth. But thanks be to God for resurrection. In the next subsequent Sundays ahead, exactly 1st April, we will be celebrating resurrection. We thank God for resurrection. And because of that, we can put our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the real deal. He's of a truth. Verses 15 to 16. The Bible lets us know that without resurrection, we are false witnesses. There are many scriptures in the Bible that prophesied about resurrection. And if Jesus Christ stayed in the grave and he didn't resurrect, it would have made the Bible invalid. Because Psalm 16 verse 11, David wrote by the inspiration of the Lord that my body will not remain in shore. It will not be captured by death. Now, that scripture was a prophecy that Jesus will die, he will be buried, and he will resurrect. And that is the power of resurrection. When we read Romans chapter 8 verse 11, that power is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And that power is residence in us. Our message is false. Without resurrection, we have no message to preach. We are false witnesses. We might as well close. Without resurrection, there is no point gathering you guys on Sunday and saying I'm preaching the gospel. Without resurrection, there is no need telling someone about Christ and about the power of Christ that is able to lead one unto repentance. Now, when you read verse 17, the Bible lets us know that if Christ did not resurrect, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Thank God that when Jesus died, he didn't just stay there, but he resurrected. The power of resurrection has expanded us of our sin. It has expanded us of our guilt. It has expanded us of our transgression. And because of that, you and I can call ourselves justified. We can call ourselves righteous. We have been acquitted of all charges. We have been declared not guilty. Why? Because when Jesus Christ died, he didn't just die for our transgressions, but he was resurrected for our justification so that you and I could be imputed unto us the gift of righteousness. And because of resurrection, you and I can say we are a new Christian. We are not in sin. Because of the power Power of resurrection, we can also testify like the efficient church that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ resurrected us and made us alive to us. He quickened us, He has quickened our mortal body. And because of that, you and I can now experience fellowship with God on the premise of resurrection. Today I pray that may we know the power of His resurrection. Verses 18 to 19, the Bible lets us know that we are the most pitiable of all men if the only hope we have is on this earth. And I thank God for that. I am not pitiable because at the end of this age, 
there is something called resurrection. And that is the power of resurrection. Because of this, it gives me hope. Resurrection gives us hope. Because without resurrection, we are the most pitiable of all men. Without resurrection, there is no need to serve God. Without resurrection, I can live my life anyhow. Because if I claim to say I am serving a God, without the phenomenon of resurrection, I am the most pitiable. But thanks be to God, Christians are not the most pitiable because of the power of resurrection. That spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives us hope that at the end of this age, we will partake of resurrection. It will not just be an event, but it will be an experience for us. Amen. Verses 26, 29 to 34. I read. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. I jump to verse 29 to 34. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the death? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men are fucked with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Amen. Now, in verse 26, this is beautiful. The last enemy called death will be destroyed. You know, when you read the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, the, the, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, everything there is just the last prophecy. Once those things are fulfilled, I believe this Bible, it will be sealed and it will be put aside because everything has been fulfilled. This Bible is a prophetic book. Everything in the Bible is almost fulfilled. Almost we are left with very few things to be fulfilled. Very, very few. But once we enter this stage, and once the last enemy is destroyed, and once some other things take place, if you read Revelation, any prophecy that is fulfilled, the books are sealed because it's fulfilled. That's why when we go to heaven, we won't read the Bible. There's no need to read the Bible anymore. Why? Because it's a fulfilled book. It's sealed because the contents in it have truly been fulfilled. And that's why this is called a sure word of prophecy. It's a sure word of prophecy. Everything that you have read, it is happening in front of our very eyes. So we are really coming there. A time will come, the Bible lets us know that the last enemy called death will be destroyed. Now, when Jesus died... Buried and he was resurrected. He has taken the influence of death. He has taken the victory of death. He has taken away the sting of death upon believers. So when believers die, we enter into a seamless transition. We are not harmed by the adverse effects of death. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. I love that scripture. The Bible says that Jesus tasted death for us. 
Why did Jesus taste death for us? He tasted death for us when he died so that when we die, we don't have to taste death. We will not be harmed by death. The victory that death had us, when you die, death will capture your soul and put you in a place of torment. The victory that death had was when you die, death will separate you from the presence of God. But as believers who are now in Christ, death has been tasted on our behalf. The harmful effects, the devastating influence of death has been tasted on our behalf. So now when we die, we just sleep. We don't experience the harm of death. We are not separated from the presence of God. And we we have this assurance that we are asleep, we will wake up again. The influence of death was when you die, that's it. There is no chance of resurrection. There is no chance of the afterlife. But it has been destroyed. But now when you read verse 26 of chapter 15, it's now talking about the very existence, the very present reality of death will be destroyed. And when you read Revelations chapter 20 going, it talks about how it will be destroyed. Now, when you read verses 29 to 33, I really want us to pay particular note to it. It will not do me any harm if I read it again. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? You see, Paul was saying that because of this phenomenon of resurrection, because of this stable and present reality of resurrection, I've had to contend with certain people. Beast here is a figurative expression for people, so it's not talking about animals. You know, in the Bible, David fucked animals. He fucked a lion, he fucked a bear. Now, when Paul, when Paul is saying, I fucked a beast, he is not talking about fighting after the manner of David. He's talking about people. People who are brutes, brutish. People who are wicked, dark-hearted. Now, it says that, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. When you deny the power of resurrection, you will live a very vain life. And I've seen it. There are some people who live very vain. They believe that life is all about what I can get here, what I can enjoy here, and then I just die. And that's a pitiful way. There is resurrection. When we don't understand the power of resurrection or the essence of resurrection, we will live a very vain life. I pray that may your life not become vain. May you live a life of purpose. May you live a life of intentionality. A life of meaningfulness. Having eternity. As the bigger picture. Verse 34. You will live a life of sin. You know, when I was thinking about this message, I said to myself, anybody who struggles with sin, I will ask them, explain to me the resurrection. Because truly, if they can really explain the resurrection and they are living a life of sin, then I'm baffled. Then I'm truly baffled. I really believe that people who live a life of sin is because they don't understand the essence of resurrection and they haven't even experienced what it means to have experienced 
born again. Because born again is resurrection. You will live a life of sin. And there are many people living in sin today who are believers, tongue-talking Christians. They live a life of sin. Stronger, higher on addiction. They might not know the power of his resurrection. I guarantee you, when you know the power of resurrection, sin will break. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as I'm preaching this message, may the knowledge of the power of Christ's resurrection be shown abroad in our hearts. May it shine into the dark crevices of our mind and may every sinful habit break. May every addictive behavior break. May every force and power of darkness break in the name of Jesus. May every hold that the enemy has over us break in the name of Jesus that I may know the power of his resurrection that I may live a life truly of freedom. Because I am free of sin. Look, you can't tell me you have freedom when you are shackled by the enemy in sin. You've not experienced freedom yet. True freedom is to live a life free of sin. That means when it comes to sin, now it is more like I choose to sin. Not because I have no will. But there are some believers who have given their lives to Jesus Christ whose wills are paralyzed and they do what they don't want to do. I present to you a key, which is to know the power of his resurrection. You will be free from that in the name of Jesus. And then verse 50 to 58. Let me read that to round up. I got like six minutes on the clock. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does corruption inherit incorruption, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hate, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just end here for now. We are assured of our destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, we have mortal flesh. We have corrupt flesh. But the Bible lets us know that one day we will exchange this mortal flesh for immortality. We will exchange this corrupt body for incorruption. The Bible says we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That is our destiny. There are many people, they just read the stars. I'm Scorpio, I'm Sagittarius. That's not my destiny. There are some people, they rely on temperament. I'm a phlegmatic, I'm a melancholy, I'm choleric. That's not my destiny. My destiny is that I will be at the new Jerusalem. I will be at Beulah land. My destiny is one day I will change. So perhaps I don't even know the real you. 
<laughs> I don't even know the real you. Because what you see here is corrupt flesh. What you see here is mortal flesh. But at the end of the age, this will drop. And then you will seal the real me. Oh, I look forward to that day where we will be assured of our destiny. We will be in the presence of our Father with glorified bodies. Our destiny is glorification. Your destiny is glorification. Don't look at the horoscope anymore. Don't believe some things anymore. Your destiny as a born-again believer is glorification. We will be glorified. We will be changing the twinkle of our eye. We will be with our Father in the new Jerusalem. And we will reign with him forever and ever. Where death will no longer exist. Where tears will no longer exist. Where darkness will no longer exist. We will be in the presence of our Father. And we will just bask in the beauty and in the glory of our Lord. Paul ended chapter 15 on this note in verse 58. He admonished us to be steadfast in the Lord, immovable, always abandoned in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Believer, let me encourage you this morning. Every labor expounded, every sweat expounded for the kingdom of God is not in vain. Paul wants us to focus on the bigger picture, that one day we will partake of his resurrection. That will be our glory. That will be an inheritance. Amen. Let me end on this scripture and we pray. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. Now, when you read Ephesians chapter 1, you, you have to understand that very carefully. Like from verse 15 going, um, Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that they will experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of the understanding will be enlightened. You see, so one of the things we have to be praying is that we should experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. When we experience that, the resultant effect is that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. And when the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, there are three important things we will know. One, we will know the hope of why we are called. We are God's calling. We will know our future. What's your future? I just quoted it to you now. Glorification. It takes one whose eyes of his or her understanding is enlightened to know that. Number two, you will know the exceeding riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints. Christ and us the hope of glory. Number three, let's look at what you know. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? If you do remember, I said wherever you see the word power, it's normally linked to resurrection. So toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the context of resurrection, Apostle Paul quoted this very statement I'm reading, which is his body. 
the fullness of him which fills all in all. Every believer has experienced the power of his resurrection. This is one thing I realize. But not every Christian knows the power of his resurrection. Every believer has experienced the power of his resurrection. But not every Christian has a conscious knowledge of the resurrection. So this morning, in the spirit of this message, I want you to pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know the exceeding greatness of his power. That's what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Let's pray in one minute. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. Father, may we have a conscious knowledge of the power of his resurrection. Thank you that we have experienced and we have encountered resurrection power. But may we have a conscious knowing of it that it will affect how we will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.